Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I lost my heart at the background to the boy on the swing machine. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. So recently, Lane was at the University of South Florida talking to Janet Keeler's journalism students. This recording was made in their classroom, not our studio. They focused first on a story that Lane wrote about a couple at the state fair. It's got a very interesting twist at the end. You can find the story by Googling Lane DeGregory and State Fair and clicking on the headline, Couple Falls for the Biggest Game at the Fair. We'll also include a link with this podcast. Lane answered questions about that story for the students, but also provided some advice about how to approach people and how to make connections. So today's topic, don't be afraid. Um, this story came about because I spent six months writing about, I don't know if you guys are from here, if you remember, there was a dad who dropped his daughter off the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, a little girl named Phoebe, she's five years old. I spent six months writing about this evil dad and the poor little girl who drowned off the bridge. And so as soon as that story came out, I told my editor, I want to do something fun. I'm going to the damn fair. <laughs> so every year, you know, there, there's these stories that you have to do every year. There's, there's holiday stories. I'm trying to find a Valentine's story right now. If you guys have any Valentine ideas. Um, but the fair is one of those every year someone's got to go to the fair. And we always write about the food. That's the food. Yeah, that, that's always the, the walk up to the fair. Like, what gross food is there going to be? And then I, I always want to volunteer just because I love going to the fair. And I love, like Janet said, I love people in the shadows, people who don't normally get their stories told. So I'm always like, pick me, pick me, I want to go to the fair. So that's, that's kind of how this story came about. They were just like, take a photographer, take a day, and go find us a story. So I guess for our first question, uh, we wanted to know, how did you find these people for the story? Yeah, I didn't know what I was looking for, you know? And I would love to, like, talk with you guys through your process of, of how you find story ideas. Um, I, I just was kind of like, I'm a really curious person, and I'm usually, like, vain enough to think if I'm interested in something, I can make somebody else interested in it, too. You know, so I think I started out at the barn where the cows give birth, and the cow wasn't about to give birth anytime soon, so that wasn't going to work. I talked to some carnies working the rides. Um, I, I usually start there and then realize they don't really have, that's, their stories are all the same, kind of, the, the guys who work the rides. So I was like just wandering around like with, with a photographer, like looking like where are the crowds, you know, where are the most people gathered, and it was at these guess your age and weight booths, and I think I went to maybe three of them before I found people who would agree to talk to me. You know, that, that's for me, part. the idea is the fun part, but then finding someone who's going to actually buy into it and let you interview them and take time out to talk to you 
sometimes that's a hard part, you know. And um, did you have your angle in mind before you had the story, or did the story come about as you interviewed people? I knew I wanted to write about how do you do that. You know what I mean? It's just interesting to me, like that someone would would spend their day like trying to guess how old you were or how much you weigh. So I thought I was going to do it about that, about like maybe they give me away some like trade secrets, you know, and, and I could could give that away. I didn't know the kicker about the age until the guy went off to get a corn dog, and I'm sitting there talking to the girl, and uh, and I realized like oh shoot, <laughs> they lied to each other about their age, which was so funny. I was I was actually like doing a little happy dance when that happened because I'm like that's. It was so unexpected, but it was so perfect, you know. And the fact that they both lied to each other, you know, it wasn't just the one guy, you know. And so then, of course, I'm like, can I see your driver's license, you know, because I didn't know who to believe, you know. But they they were pretty, uh, I mean, they outed each other in front of each other, in front of me, right? So that was kind of a, a bonus as a reporter to be there when that happened, you know. But then I'm like, oh, you're probably like this too, like, finding the beginning of the story, you guys, you were talking about leads when I came in. To me, that's the hard part. But finding the ending, if that happens when I'm reporting, I'm just like, yes. Like, you, you can feel it sometimes, you know? A lot of times it just dribbles away and you're like, oh, my God, i got to go back at my desk and write it. And what am I going to end it with? But that one, I was like, I know exactly how I want that ending to be. <laughs> uh, did you have any other ideas besides this one? I, I always like the, the barns with the animals in it. And, like, one year I did, um, actually, that was maybe my favorite fair story. I did The Guy Who Judged the Chickens. And it was like like a beauty contest, and he was talking about their, you know, the, the plump shape of their bottoms and stuff like that. So I hung out with him for a year. That that mean for one year that was fun. Um, I think this year I was just like, what do I do different? You know, one year I did um, the seven deadly sins, and I went and tried to find an example of each of the seven deadly sins at the fair. You know, we did love at the fair one year because um, it was around Valentine's Day, and so I mean that's that's both a. Um, a bane and a challenge, you know, of like finding something new, new and fresh to do. And also that your um, colleagues aren't doing, because we have three other people out there at the fair. So you're trying to coordinate with them, you know. Um, so exactly how much time did you spend that day at the fair? I remember I had another interview that morning, so I didn't get over there until probably noon. I think I wandered around for an hour or two, and then I spent about two hours with them. Um, and I think I wrote it the next day. I don't think I wrote it that night, but it was pretty quick. You know, sometimes I'll do it in a day. Um, like, usually I need two hours to interview you if I'm really going to get enough to get a story, you know. And they just let me hang out. That was a lot of, like, you know, a lot of observation, too, because there were people coming in. They had to keep doing their job, right? So I interviewed some of the people. They were guessing their age and weight, too, thinking maybe they might be a story, and, and the couple themselves was a much better story. Um, I know a big question for us was like, how do you go about introducing yourself without seeming creepy or, you know, stuff like that? <laughs> that is always, that's the hardest question for, for you guys, like this age group. And, and I think maybe I don't think about that because I was like being a reporter when I was 10, 11, 12. I was practicing, you know, I had all those years. I, I just feel like unapologetic about it. You know, I wear my badge wherever I go and I can just like wield my badge and I'll be like, Hey, I'm Lane. I usually don't even use my whole last name because why do they care? I'm Lane. I'm from the Tampa Bay Times. I'm looking to write a quick story, and I wondered if I could have a minute, you know. Um, and that, I think that would be the one thing if I could. You, are you guys, this is beginning reporting. Don't be afraid. You know what I mean? That's my biggest tip right now of, of like of anything I could give you guys. My kids are the same age as your as you guys. They're both in college, 
And, you know, that's something I try to tell them about, whether it's, like, taking a hard class or asking a girl out or trying a new food or whatever. Like, don't be afraid, you know, because play it forward. What is the absolute worst thing that's going to happen if you go ask a stranger something? If you go say, hey, I'm with the crow's nest and I want to do a story. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Exactly. They say no, right? They're not going to insult you. They're not going to throw a rock at you or spit at you. You have to put your tail between your legs and walk away. Or I ask two or three times before they, you know, if they say no, I'll ask another couple times. But, but I try to keep that in mind. And please, you guys, just be brave. You know what I mean? The people, you're doing your job, basically, is what it is. You're doing your job. And it might sound creepy, especially in, in a, a generation where you guys don't talk a lot to strangers. You, you might text or, or write or Instagram my son. But, um, don't be afraid. You know, tell them what you want. I think that's the big part, being able to explain, like, why I want to talk to you as opposed to these other five people doing the same thing. You know, um, what I saw in you or what I hope to get out of you. Um, then I, I usually, before I start asking them questions, I'll say, do you have anything you want to ask me? You know, and it, it sort of shifts who's in the driver's seat and empowers your people a little bit more. And I, I think it took me 10 years to figure that out. Like, they have questions for me, too. Why are you being creepy, lady? You know, and but if you if you let them get that out, I think then having the conversation or the interview is a whole lot easier. You know, um, I think that's a good way of getting them comfortable, being able to, for them to be in the driver's seat. Would there be any other techniques that you used um, to get them comfortable? You know, so they're able to give more information and stuff like that. He has great questions. I'm glad you sat up for us. This may sound really silly, but I don't really want people to feel like I'm being I'm interviewing them. I want them to feel like like I'm talking to them at a bar or something. You know, like I want. I think the number one thing is you have to be interested. People can tell if you're not genuinely interested. If you're like, oh, I got to get a quote for the story that Janet's making me turn in. People can feel that. You know what I mean? So you have to find some way to be interested in whatever it is that they're doing or that you're doing. Um, and a lot of times, for me, that's like finding someone who is interested in that, right? Like, I'm, I'm very not interested in football at all. But if I can find somebody who's super interested in football to sort of guide me through it, then all of a sudden I have a window. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I have someone who can almost interpret what's going on because I don't understand it a lot of times, you know. Um, and having a, a something um, common to have a conversation about. Like, I've never met anybody who didn't want to talk about their dog, right? Do you have a dog? That's a really easy icebreaker. Kids, if you're interviewing someone who has kids, everybody and their brothers, grandkids, show me a picture of your grandkid in your phone. Oh, shoot, okay, now I'm your best friend. I'm going to look at your cute grandkid, you know what I mean? And and cars, that's another weird conversation starter, but I feel like it's neutral, you know? So dogs, kids, and cars, those are kind of my three. Like Everybody will talk about one of those subjects to open it up. And and to give you give a little bit about yourself too, you know, I, I work with big notepads. And when I was your all's age, I would walk into the room and my notepad would be like my shield. You know, I'm like hiding behind my notepad. That's my safety barrier between me and these strangers. And now I kind of put it down. I don't even bring it out right away usually, because um, I, I think letting them know who you are as a person, not just a reporter or a quote getter, really really helps. So I have my little two-sentence spiel. I'll usually say, oh, I'm married to a drummer for a Grateful Dead band. I've got two boys who are in college and an old cattle dog who never shuts up. Okay, you have a little tiny picture of me now, and I'm not scary, you know. And that's the other thing. I, I, I don't want to say I'm a reporter, usually. I say I'm a writer because people are scared of reporters or there's some negative 
rhetorical bend to being a reporter that you're trying to try to get something out of somebody, you know? So I usually say I'm a writer or a journalist. That's, journalist is kind of a bad word lately, too, but <laughs> writer, writers are nice. Right? Writers are, are easy and not scary. Um, specifically for the story, what kind of questions did you ask the people? I think I started asking them how they got there. Like, where did they come from? How long have they been on the road? Um, what training, if any, did they get for this skill set, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I watched them. I believe I watched them for a while. Like, I think there's two parts of, of for me, there's two parts of journalism reporting. There's, there's the interview, like, ask anybody anything you can think one-on-one. -on -one. I have your full attention. And then there's the observation, you know? And, and I need both of those if I'm going to really tell a story. I want to watch something happen. Even if it's only for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, I want to shut up and watch it happen. Um, I've had to learn to do that a lot more with the video. Now that people, you know, the, the photographers are taking video, they're always just like, shut up, Lane. Like, move out of the way and shut up, you know. Um, but it's really, it's really helpful. You observe things and you note things when you're doing that that you would get out of an interview, too. You know, and so I watched them probably do five or six different people who wanted to be, you know, guess, guess their age or weight type thing. And the other thing that, that I don't know if this is a tip or not, but, um, I used to only want to interview that one person at a time. Like, I would want to, like, hone in on them individually. And now I'm like, if you want to bring your roommate, your girlfriend, your mother, I don't, I don't care. Like, you can bring a wingman, you know. And a lot of times that actually yields something else because then you have those people interacting and you can listen for dialogue instead of just quotes or answers to questions. So they bantered with each other a bit, which was great. You know, I had kind of had their interaction. But then I knew I needed to get them alone for a minute, you know, so I waited and waited until he went off to get a corn dog, and then that's when I got her alone for just a minute. So I, th I think having having private time is important, but I also have given up the idea that it has to just be just me and that guy, you know. Um, we didn't feel that this is a traditional news story in a sense, but more so like a slice of life kind of narrative. So how did you go about, you know, structuring, you know, being able to tell a story instead of making it feel like an actual news story? Yeah, thank you for saying that, because I, I feel like that's what I try to do. Like, I, they, for, you know, I don't know, 15 years I wrote those, those stories of like, oh, this Tampa State Fair opens Thursday, and mission costs $10, and there'll be 300 rides and 400 cows, and, you know, I wrote those stories for a long, long, long time, like, to the point that I got bored with them, if that makes sense. They kind of became formulaic um, for me, and so once I started playing with narrative, I, I mean, I didn't really get shown how to do that, but it was like once I started thinking, I, w I was an English major, not a journalism major, and I like to read novels, and I started thinking about how would you tell that story, you know, if, if you were going to read it in a magazine, or if you were going to try to make somebody care about the fair, not just giving them information that, oh, the There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Fair opens Thursday. I think information versus storytelling, it's two different different types of reporting, different types of questions you ask, and definitely different types of writing, you know. 
Um, how far in advance did you have this assignment? Was this like a you know on the fly, you know, one day thing, or did you have time to prepare for this? I think my story on Phoebe came out on Sunday, and Monday I went into the editor and I said, "Can I go to the fair?" Because <laughs> I just, I really, I mean, truly, I just wanted to do something happy and fun. You know, so much of what I write about is really sad and and debilitatingly sad, and. Um, I just was trying to amuse myself and find something fun to do. I mean, it, you know they have somebody has to do it, right? Just like Valentine's Day. Somebody has to do it because that's the rhythm of the newspaper and the readers will be sad if you don't acknowledge the fair or Valentine's Day. So when I have time between bigger projects or whatever, I try to do a lot of these little, little ones. And I think of these more of like, if you come home from the fair and you want to tell your neighbor, like, oh, my God, this happened. That's what this is, right? This is like a moment that it resonated for whatever reason, and I want to share that with other people. It's not necessarily to give them an overview of what's new or what's what you can do or, you know. Uh, you were talking earlier about uh, general assignment stories, and we just wanted to know um, how do you feel about them in general? Do you like them? Do you not like them? I, I like being a general assignment reporter. I kind of miss having a beat. In a way, you know, like when when I had a beat, I, I actually I worked in a bureau, so I was writing two or three stories a day, and I was covering like five beats, and and it's it's gratifying to develop sources, you know, because then you have people in whatever you whether it's the city council or the sheriff's office or the jail or the school board, you have people you can go back to again and again, and they'll they'll be your sources or they'll guide you through, you know, whatever your beat is. General assignment is much more like, oh, I'm out here flying in the wind, you know, I don't know. And then the other part of that is having to broker it with somebody else. Like, oh, I have a story I want to do about health. i got to go to the health reporter and see if I can do that. Oh, I have a story I want to do about a murder trial. Oh, i got to go to the court reporter and see if I can do that. So you're not just brokering with the people you want to write about. You're brokering with your colleagues to not step on their beat, you know. So I find that a little bit more challenging. But general assignment, like... I can't think of a better, especially if you're young, like you get to do everything. I, I love that. I love that every single day is different. Every single day I learn something, you know. Um, and it's it took me a while to be able to say, I don't understand. I'm sorry. Can you help me? You know, because I felt like I had to be really smart. And like, I'm there doing the interview. I should know everything. There is about nuclear power, you know. No, the people like respected me a lot more, I think, once I started saying, I don't understand this, and I have to explain it to my readers. Who can help me, you know, and then then they feel an urge, I think, to help out. Um, do you ever follow up with the people that you interview and write stories on? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, Facebook, especially. I I almost I Facebook friend almost everybody I write about and tell them to do the same with me because again, I want them to know I'm a human being. You know, come see my dog on my Facebook. Yay. Um, but not, you know, like, I don't know what these guys are doing now. I reread the story last night thinking, oh, I wonder if they really joined the Air Force. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know what happened to these guys. But most of the bigger stories, yeah, I keep up with. I keep up with the people, at least peripherally, you know. I mean, I, I've written, I think I counted over 3,000 stories since I've been here. So it would be impossible to keep up, you know, with all those people. But every once in a while, I'll get... You know, I'll put something up about my kid dancing in a play, and somebody will be like, who's that? Oh, I wrote about that person. You know, they, they pop back up every once in a while. Um, what are some of your techniques that you use to keep the reader immersed in a story? I, I try to make, um, you were fussing about leads. Are you guys, they're just working on leads right now? Kind of story. They're writing stories. I, <laughs> I, I think of my lead as like the opening scene of a movie. 
right? So I, I actually will sit there and close my eyes and try to picture, like, if this was going to be a movie, what would you see? You know, and I try real hard to um, incorporate sensory details. So across the top of my notebook, and we can do the notebook thing too if we want, about um, how I take notes, but it's a little different than how I took it for when I was reporting news. Um, but across the top of my notepad, I want to write down, like, you're going to hear something, right? You, but you might not think to write down the, the white noise around it, you know, or the sound of the... Uh, coming from the poultry barn, you know what I mean? So I try to write down something that I hear, something that I see, something that tastes. Taste is huge, and smell. Smell, people don't usually report for smell, but if you can, like, tell people what the, 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 the midway smells like kettle corn and cotton candy, right? And all of a sudden, isn't that sort of transportive? Like, you guys can all be like, oh, yeah, I remember what that smells like, you know. So I, I try to, I think that helps transport the readers to your scene a lot if you can find a smell in there. Um, and then I try to, I don't know if I did it very well in this one, but um, I try to find a place where I ask a question or I foreshadow that something's going to happen so that they'll want to keep reading, right? Like, have you guys talked about nut graphs? So Nutgraph is kind of like you sum up everything that they need to know, right? And, and then hopefully they'll keep reading beyond that. With narratives, usually there isn't such a Nutgraph as something that I would call the promise of the piece. I didn't make that up. Jan Winburn, this very smart editor, did. Um, but the promise of the piece is basically like you want to get your, your lead wants to get your people hooked, right? You get your readers hooked in the lead. But to get them to keep going, you got to give them something. You got to give them, it is they, are they going to guess the age? Is the is this chicken in the corner going to win? You know, like whatever it is, asking some kind of question or plotting some kind of foreshadowing, um, I think that's a hugely helpful device to keep people involved in your story. Um, I, the, there's four things I look for in a narrative. I, I look for a really strong character, and sometimes that comes down to who's going to talk to me, right? Like just the matter of having somebody buy in. Um, action. I want something to happen. You know, I, I don't want just to describe like what it's like on the midway out something's got to propel it forward to happen. Um, setting or scene, I think it's really important to have a really strong scene that you can transport your people to. Um, and then a theme. And, and I don't always know the theme when I'm going in. Sometimes I don't think of the theme until I'm driving home or I'm starting to write the story and, then, and, and what's, it, what's it about, you know. Um, so those, those four things before I have the, um, even know if I have the ingredients for a story, those are what I'm looking for. Um, another big question that we had was, how do you distinguish when to use a direct quote versus when you paraphrase? Because throughout the story, you did really good with you know using the direct quotes and then going to a more paraphrase, you know, throughout. So, yeah, that, I'm glad you asked that question because that's definitely something that I've evolved myself doing. When I was your all's age, I, I wrote everything everybody said down, and my stories were probably two thirds or three fourths quotes because I felt like, oh, I'm talking to them, I should put their words in there, you know. When I started reporting more for narrative or scene, I realized, A, I don't care but about what 30% of what you say, right? Because <laughs> people ramble. They tell you these side stories. I'm going to talk about your dog for 10 minutes. I really am not going to put your dog in my story, but I'm getting that going, you know. So I don't write down everything everybody says anymore. I, I write down highlights, um, which means I don't have as many quotes. Um, and my friend Kelly Benham, she used to sit next to me. She's a professor in Indiana now. She would shame me about my quotes. She would be like, you are the writer. You can write it better than they can say it, like 90% of the time. So she really got me thinking about, like, 
if you only use a few quotes, they pop a whole lot more. So you use quotes that are either going to help propel your story forward or somehow um, illuminate something about that character, you know. Like, I, I did a story one time about a hockey coach, and he was this really this, this mean old... He was the guy from um, Slapshot, and um, he... <laughs> every question that I asked him, like, I had, like, 30 questions to go in, like, prepared to go ask him. Every single question I asked him, he'd go, that's hockey. That's hockey. Well, you know what, little girl, that's hockey. And I was like, oh, my God. And I, so I didn't write it down for the first three or four times. Then I was like, I am not imagining this. So I put TH every time he said that in the margin. And it was like 90 times in this three-hour interview he said, that's hockey. So when I went back to write the story, I was like, okay, I'm going to quote him about like every other paragraph, that's hockey, that. And it became sort of a device in the story. But I wasn't listening for that at first. You know what I mean? So if you hear colloquialisms or catchphrases or way people talk or they have a certain thing they say, I think that's a good thing to quote them on, too. But just getting information or background, usually, I'd rather write it. It's it's more fun to me to, for me to, like, fast forward through that, you know? Um, as far as structure goes for the narrative, how did you know when to break up the paragraphs? Hmm. I don't know if I did know. <laughs> I, I, I write till I get to, like, what I think could be a turning point. You know, we used to put those little um, bullets a lot. We'd break up our copy, you know, with bullets, and I, and I would write to the bullet part. Um, I don't know how you guys work, and, and I think everybody has a different methodology, or you got to figure it out a little bit for yourselves, but I, I usually make myself write for a Diet Coke. Like, I, I will... Crack open my Diet Coke and I'll write till my Coke is done. Like, that's my reward at the end, you know. But I make myself sit there. And, and I'm going to sound like your mom here for a minute, which is okay. But turn everything off when you're writing, right? Like, my friend who sits next to me at work, she has her Twitter deck. She has her daughter's Facebook. She has her grade book. She has nine screens open on everything at once. And she can't, you know what I'm talking about, too. She can't get through a paragraph without getting distracted to something else. And I'm like, dude, man, I, I go in a cave. I, like, legit, I have a little porch on the front of my house. I close the door. I turn everything off. I have my Diet Coke. And then when I, I write until I make myself sit there and write, you know. It's not always great, It's the, but to just make yourself have a certain amount of, of commitment to getting through. it. Your stories, you can probably tell they're disjointed when you write them in pieces. They don't flow. They don't have transitions. They're not fun to read. But when you can actually get into your head and it comes out like a long roll of toilet paper, you know, it just keeps on coming. And, and that's when I feel like, oh, this is satisfying, you know. Um, and then uh, my last question, our last question would be, is it ethical to use uh, details based on common knowledge versus um, <clears throat> what's actually going on when you're there? I got the fair, for example. I'm not sure I understand. Um, like common knowledge that might not be true. You know? Yeah, like so if you didn't experience at the fair that day, but it is a, a common thing at the fair, is it okay to use those details within the story to kind of give it a better narrative to it? I think so. Yeah, if you've experienced it yourself, I'm not just going to take somebody's word for it. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I've never been to the fair myself and somebody had said, oh, there's a giraffe who can't stand up straight in there, I'd be like, oh, that's sad, but I want to go see if that's true. And it is true, it's really sad. But, um, you know, I, I think knowing, you know, ha having some knowledge, that's why people say, you know, write about what you know, right? I mean, it's, I could write a Grateful Dead story with my eyes closed because I've lived with my husband for 30 years of Grateful Dead shows, you know. Um, but if you asked me to go write about Skrillex, I would be like, I, I don't know, I, I can't. I can't tell you what that world is like, you know what I mean? I can interview my son, and that might be where I'd start out with, like, 
interviewing somebody who had been there who had experienced that, you know. But I, I won't put that in my story unless I've either experienced it or confirmed it. And and I, I do tell people, like, you're going to tell me your age. I'm going to check that out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go back and put you through our little computer and make sure you are who you say you are. And I had to punt a story once. I was doing this really stupid story about a man who adopted a beagle. And he went to have a beagle reunion with all the other beagles. <laughs> it was just a dumb little dog story. Everybody loves dog stories, right? So I get back to put him in the, the computer, and he doesn't exist. And I'm like, what? what's going on with this guy? He, was, he wasn't anywhere. There was nothing about him. He was, like, in his 30s. And um, I called him back, and I'm like, I can't find you. You know, we background everybody. I can't find you. He said, oh, I, I'm not going to give you my real name for that story. And I'm like, it's about a beagle reunion. <laughs> like, really? So I didn't write the story because I figured if he was, like, that cagey and dishonest about who he really was, like, I'm not going to make his beagle on the front page, you know. <laughs> Is it okay to um, exaggerate? Going off of that question, could we exaggerate within the story, just um, as far as like details of it? Never, Never. ever, ever. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's it's got to be true. Um, it's got to be real and and no fake news. <laughs> no, I I think you know I've been tempted in in the thirty years of being a journalist to write fiction, and, and I've had some ideas for for novels and short stories, and then I always thought like, oh Lane, don't go down that path. Like, don't let yourself start making stuff up because it's a temptation and and I I don't want to ever be caught with that. I mean there's a, there's a lot of times where you could make up something better than what happens in reality. But you can't. <laughs> you know you, you can't. It, it, it's cuz if if I go back and I say, "Oh, you know, she's the most beautiful girl in the world," and then somebody else is going to say, "No, she's not." You know, there's always somebody who can counteract. So you have to stick to the truth. You know. Okay, if you have a question for Lane about any of her stories or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. 